It's been an ongoing issue, especially in the tech sector. Amazon making headlines, up to 10,000 jobs could be cut. Meta, which announced it would lay off more than 11,000 of its employees. Netflix has made big cuts, so has Shopify, Snap, Twitter. Hundreds of security personnel are part of the layoffs, but that could end up being a precarious cost-cutting measure. Potential for risk when something like that happens is astronomical. Ensure that you have the resources available to properly manage through the lens of risk that your organization has appetite for. Kyle Burroughs helped build Shopify's Global Security Operations Center. He was let go by the e-commerce giant earlier this year. Security is not about responding to the problem. It's about doing everything you can to avoid the problem. We'll examine the best ways to use real-time intelligence, the importance of proving your team's worth, and how to become a security generalist should you wind up losing your job. Hi there, I'm Tristan Field-Jones. Welcome to another episode of SITREP, the podcast powered by Samdesk. Uh, I'm joined by uh, Kyle Burroughs. He's the former head of Shopify's Global Security Operations Center. Uh, Kyle, we have uh, quite a variety of topics to discuss today, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation. But before we get started, please introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about uh, you and, and the work that you are doing and you have done. Awesome. Uh, great to meet you, Tristan. Thanks for having me. Um, my name is Kyle Burroughs, and I was the manager of Shopify's Global Security Operations Center. Um, prior to that, I built my experience in the contract security and um, in-house security uh, areas, uh, sort of taking every adventure that I could take to, to get to where I ended up. So uh, I started actually working as a loss prevention investigator, um, you know, went into management, went back into investigations for a little bit, and just sort of chased every opportunity that I could. Um, but I've also dabbled in things like project management and business analysis, which has really helped me. I found to be, uh, you know, well-rounded and what I like to call a security generalist. Yeah, and that is a topic we will certainly discuss uh, later on in the episode too, because I think that'll be some valuable insight and advice for security professionals out there, especially in the current environment that we find ourselves in. Uh, let's start with your experience at Shopify. So you helped build the GSOC there. And again, Shopify being one of the biggest e-commerce companies in the entire world. So how did you start such an enormous task? And did you have to build the GSOC from scratch? That's actually a great question. Um, you know, I'd love to say I built everything, but uh, the reality is, is that I, um, my role came into uh, existence based on the need of the business. Um, so somebody before me planned um, to that they wanted to open the global security operations center and their plan was to staff it with uh with contractors uh, so i actually began my adventure with shopify as a contractor working with uh g4s secure solutions and i was brought in at the point where you know the client had identified the equipment they'd worked with consultants to sort of identify that that day one vision of what it would be um and i came in and I started looking at more tactical level things, what we would be doing, what we were hoping to accomplish in the short term, um, with always keeping an eye on the strategic and long-term vision. So I uh, started as a contractor um, and I actually was able to build out the team uh, from the ground up. So looking for the right people, making sure we had the right processes in place and making sure that we were always in a position to um, look at security as a customer service first uh, entity. 
um, but still ensuring that our security team was, was able to detect and respond to events 24-7 around the world. So how long did it take for you to essentially complete the GSOC? I realize the GSOC is always evolving, but to get it to its final form, if you will, uh, and, and what did that end result look like versus what you started with? Yeah. So when we, we first, so it took about two years um, for us to hit what I would consider a full uh, and resilient cycle. You know, he'll hear me use the term resilience a lot um, because I'm a huge believer in redundancy when it comes to business critical functions. So it took about two years to build. Um, and where we started was actually with uh, a couple of desks in a repurposed uh, meeting room. Uh, so that meeting room was originally designed for uh, for about six people. And uh, we had actually planned for an even smaller space, uh, but the COVID-19 pandemic meant that we had to ensure uh, greater distancing between the workstations. So we, uh, say, got promoted out of a closet into a, into a meeting room um, before we could even prove the concept. So uh, our GSOC started with two desks. Uh, where we ended up uh, two years later is we had uh, space for for about six desks, uh, and we'd taken on a whole lot more. So what originally started as um, security contractors monitoring doors, uh, alarms, and uh, CCTV cameras around the world, um, which was really just designed to reduce uh, workload on other members of Shopify's core security team who were expected to respond to these alarms, even if they were in the middle of the night. Um, uh, we were able to build an entire support organization around that. So within a span of two years, we went from looking at doors and, and windows and cameras to uh, supporting events happening in Shopify spaces in real time, uh, supporting um, any sort of special, special taskings that our uh, executive protection teams had. Um, looking at global events and uh, generating what we call situational awareness um, for, for an international organization, especially having that understanding of uh, what's going on that impacts your business, that impacts your people, that impacts your ability to be profitable, um, you know, is vitally important, especially uh, when you're able to take that information and turn it into understanding that drives decision making. Um, so. You know, it was, uh, it was a fast and furious few years uh, from the start to where we ended up. Well, and, and talk a little bit more about how you built that GSOC. What are some of the things you needed to do to grow from, you know, two desks to six desks and a proper operation? Yeah, uh, for sure. So the first, the first thing I did, and this is part of my background in consulting, is I really came in and I had my first question was, why are we doing this? What is our... What's our overarching need? And that helped me determine what we were going to take on first. Um, you know, it's, it's really easy for me to say, hey, we can do, you know, this laundry list of things until we have to turn it into a process that can be executed by what started as one person uh, working 24-7. Um, so we defined the scope. And from there, we started looking at, you know, what were our priority one and priority two items? How could we knock that out? Um, so we wrote our procedures um, and we started, like I said, with doors, cameras, alarms, writing incident reports. 
and uh, giving the, the operators the ability to know who they needed to contact if there was a facilities issue or a law enforcement issue in a country halfway around the world. Um, so we turned things into processes. And my focus with the processes is it had to be something that could be done 24-7 um, with a relative degree of autonomy. Um, like I said, we started this in a large part to reduce the noise and the resource drain that came from uh, having security team members on call. Um, and our focus on that wasn't to just have a call center that would call them internally. It was to employ people that were trained and capable of solving local problems. Um, where we went from there is we were able to reduce escalations. Um, pages became um, out of the out of the ordinary, uh, which meant that to our internal security team members, there was a certain degree of urgency uh, versus getting a phone call from an alarm company because your your temperature sensors uh, a degree too warm again, and it's going to reset itself in fifteen minutes when the air conditioner kicks back on. The next big thing I focused on was identification of the role. So we had our procedures, we had our initial expectation of what a GSOC operator would need to be, and really identifying the type of person, um, the type of worker, and the skill sets that we needed to you know, do this, not just 24-7, but do this successfully 24-7. Um, you know, since we were starting with, with one operator per shift, we needed to ensure that the people we were hiring now would be people that we could trust to lead later once, uh, once we started scaling. And I think that is probably one of the biggest successes that we had was just really identifying and doing, you know, competency-based interviewing. Um, because I was the contractor, I was able to look at the employees that we had internally and see what their skill sets were and really just pick a team right at the start that we felt would be successful and would help us to have the time to grow the program. Um, and at that time, it was really, it's how do we get these people trained to a point where they can function 90% uh, through our standard operating procedures and give us the time to say what comes next? Where do we need to go? How is the current thing working? And do that sort of, as you alluded to, the GSOC never stops growing. It's in this state of continuous improvement. And uh, you know, in order to have the, the ability to work with stakeholders, we need to make sure that the day-to-day -day is working efficiently in the first place. What tools did you have at your disposal to you know, gather intelligence, to assess threats? Uh, and how important was it to get real-time information, especially when crises occurred? Uh, so what I'll say is, um, you know, we used a lot of analyst-reviewed tools. Um, and what we observed later on in the, uh, once we started monitoring global events fully, uh, and keep in mind that our, you know, our funnel was very wide uh, because Shopify is digital by design, which means that we went at the start of the uh, COVID-19 pandemic from having, you know, a few fixed offices to having thousands of employees uh, with offices around the world because they could work from anywhere. Um, so that real-time intelligence really became something of importance to us because it directly affected our ability for our GSOP team to actually 
look at and analyze information in a timely fashion so we could get it pushed up. When it came to uh, leveraging tools, uh, we noticed that analyst review uh, feeds had a time that wasn't always consistent based on the priority that our, um, that our vendors were assigning to it. And that could be anything from uh, maybe they have a larger client with different interests. Maybe they have um, other priorities within their organization, or maybe they're viewing it from a different lens based on where they're located. Um, and for us, we always tried to maintain that global view. So what we ended up doing um, is creating our own risk matrices. Um, and in the intelligence world, it's, um, you know, really it's measuring the severity uh, of impact versus the likelihood of occurrence, standard risk assessment methodology. But where we, you know, tried to innovate was by giving that guidance um, and taking something that is a best practice and really adding criteria to make the assessment tools something that fit our brand, something that was important to our risk profile, something that's important to our leadership um, and our stakeholders. Um, if you walk in with, you know, a book of best practices and you don't know how to apply it to the environment that you're working in, you might be the smartest person or be the person with the best book in the room. Um, but you really have to ask yourself is, are you achieving the goal or are you just saying that you've met a standard? Security is not about responding to the problem. It's about doing everything you can to avoid the problem. And that's, you know, that's true for intelligence. That's true for GSOC. That's true for your guards that work in retail stores or office buildings. Um, you know, if a security guard patrolling an office can catch a water leak, that's probably the, the most simple explanation for how damage is avoided is what's the damage that would have been caused if the guard got there 24 hours later, or you didn't have someone over me. Um, but for me is if we can avoid the problem by altering our course of action, making a different decision, that's the value that we've added. Um, that's the service that we provide to the organization is peace of mind. Um, and when you do that professionally, when you do that effectively, when you create an avenue for your stakeholders to bring you this information and know that it'll be dealt with, when you cultivate that brand, what you're really doing is enabling, you know, people that, you know, it's not their job to investigate threats. They're someone that might receive something. Uh, they might be involved or impacted by a global event. Um, and that could be as simple as having to work overtime because there is a power outage and another team can't come online. And all of that sort of culminates in, you know, the brand that you've built for your security team, the effectiveness that you have, and you're enabling all of these people, all of these stakeholders from the receptionist all the way up to the C-suite to have that peace of mind that they don't need to worry about it because you have someone that will worry about it for you. And to me, that's what you do as a, you know, as an effective security organization, is you give peace of mind, you enable these folks to do their best work. And in doing so, you build that brand that people 
and rely on you. Well, and Kyle, I think this works really well into the next topic we're going to dive into because unfortunately for you, and I think it was about a thousand other uh, employees at Shopify, there were substantial layoffs earlier this year. Uh, a huge chunk of the security team at Shopify, again, including yourself, were laid off. Um, you you touched on it a little bit, but you know, Shopify isn't the only company guilty of doing this. Certainly others have been laying off sometimes their entire security staff. Why is this inherently risky? Well, so first, I would say that, you know, uh, layoffs happen. And I wouldn't necessarily say a company is, is guilty of it. Um, but at the same time, you know, I am a generalist. I've seen the business side of things and I, you know, I understand that the bottom line is something that matters. Um, what I will say um, anecdotally is that uh, having worked in investigations where you're looking at workplace violence, you're looking at uh, potentially current or former employees, your security team plays a critical role in that. Um, if you are planning a significant restructuring or reduction of workforce, Security is here to be your partner if your organization is built the right way. Um, and having support of your security team is absolutely important. Um, you know, the way, you know, without sounding crass is, you know, if you're laying off thousands of people or 500 people from a, from a, you know, severity versus the <laughs> likelihood assessment. It's significantly likely when your when your survey areas, you know, in some cases thousands of people, um, if not hundreds, that somebody might not take it well. You know, everything I just talked about about building your brand, taking things off people's plates, your security department's there to help with that. They're here to partner with talent or HR. They're here to partner with legal and employee relations. They're here to protect the assets of the business that still remain, they're here to protect the people that still remain. Um, you never know, especially when you're dealing with mass terminations, if someone received the message well, if someone's confused about the message, if the reduction in force is being carried out efficiently. You know, I'd like to say, you know, in, in my capacity, everything, you know, well, unfortunate went fine. Um, but when you look at, you know, layoffs as, something that happens and companies with their different cultures, you know, the potential for risk when something like that happens is astronomical. Um, my recommendation on that would be, you know, ensure that you have the resources available to properly manage those things through the lens of risk that your organization has appetite for. And there's nobody better to do that than your security team. Um, if they built the brand properly, if they've been the right partner, not saying they shouldn't be impacted. That would be a naive thing to say, but uh, definitely laying off your entire security team isn't something that I would recommend um, because you've left yourself open to you know a whole lot of questions um, and you've made it very difficult for you to manage threats. Even if you were to try to outsource that to a vendor, uh, it would be very hard for that vendor as a contractor, as someone who's new to the organization or anything like that, to have the 
ability or relationships to get the information they need to conduct a highly effective risk assessment. Unless you're willing to put that additional work on HR and legal and hopefully all the stars align on that. I'm not saying every you know, corporate security department is perfect by any means. Um, there's opportunities to be improved in every process, but uh, definitely having strong internal partners, especially during you know, tumultuous and sensitive times, is something that I recommend for any organization. Well, and, and one of the things that has come up uh, repeatedly on this podcast is how the work of security professionals is almost invisible in a way in terms of, you know, for instance, if you're on the sales team, you can look at the numbers and say, well, our sales grew. Or if you look at if you have an innovation team or an IT department, like you can, there are certain metrics you can use to measure success. But when it comes to security, Kyle, if you're doing a good job, the company doesn't notice any threats happening, even if they may be happening, the company may not necessarily be aware of that. So if they aren't, you know, uh, fully uh, informed, I guess, of, you know, the the cost benefit analysis of the value that a proper security team brings to a, co to a company, they may look at this and say, well, we haven't had any threats for the last two years. Why do we need you? And the fact is, if that is indeed the case in a company or an organization, that means the security team is actually doing its job. I would agree with that um, to a certain point. The, the reality is, is, you know, in some, some industries, especially it's difficult to calculate your return on investment. If you were to look at asset protection in a retail environment, uh, it's really easy to measure your, your loss in a store. It's all the product that's moved out, that isn't there when you do your end of year inventory count. Um, if you want to look at the productivity of an investigator that's walking the floor, apprehending shoplifters or clo closing organized retail crime cases, the dollar value that they recover um, is present. It's measurable. Somewhere around there, you get a baseline of, of how that individual business unit is doing, and that can roll up into you know a region or the company, depending on the size of your footprint. When you start looking at a more corporate focused security department, I agree. It's definitely hard to measure that return on investment, uh, particularly because you don't ever want to put yourself in a position where you say, well, I can predict the future because that's when you set yourself up to fail. Um, but I talked a little bit about it before. It's that, that data, leveraging, leveraging data um, and measuring time spent. Um, and I've, I've done this before to... Uh, ensure that we had operational excellence was before we ever added a new position to the GSOC, we would look at the time that was being consumed. We would measure average tasks and the number of, uh, the level of effort that went into doing things. And we'd always make sure that we were getting close to capacity. Um, and that's how I justified the expansion. Um, similarly, it's getting that information to leadership in a way that matters. Um, understanding what the company cares about as a risk profile, that, that messaging has to come down from your C-suite, from your executives. And that gives you something tangible that you can pull up and serve as, hey, you know, you're concerned about health and safety incidents. Here was our average cost of workplace injuries, uh, or here is our average loss on, um, you know, devices that were stolen while people were traveling. Here's what it is now. And here's what controls we've put in place that resulted in this number. Um, 
you know, we shoot for continuous improvement. That doesn't mean everything we do is, is always going to work. Um, but if you set yourself up to measure where you're coming from and measure where you're getting to, um, and that can be through qualitative analysis. It can be through charts, reports, graphs, uh, and it can be through open, it should be through open communication up to the highest levels of your organization, um, is numbers speak. If I'm a, if I'm a VP of finance, if I'm a CFO, um, numbers speak. Uh, if it's a legal issue, it's, you know, here's what we've avoided, right? The risk that we've avoided is money safe. That's money in the bank. Uh, Kyle, we've had so much fantastic advice from you so far, and I want to touch on a point you brought up earlier in terms of being a security generalist. It sounds like that would be extremely valuable, especially in this day and age when we are seeing layoffs at many companies. So how do you become a security generalist, uh, and how does that help increase your value to an organization? That's uh, that's a great question, Tris. I would like to say that I did it intentionally. Uh, the reality is, is I, I didn't at all. Um, the way I've learned, um, my, my degree is in general arts with a, a minor in communication. Way back when I thought I was going to work in advertising. Then I said, oh, maybe I'll give HR a shot. So organizational communication seems to work. I have never worked in HR. I've never worked in advertising, but I started off with something that I felt would make me unique, make me stand out. I fell into the security industry because I had a connection that was looking for an account coordinator and an investigator in Ottawa, which was an emerging market for that particular company. And I said, I'll take that on. So I did my training. I got my security guard license um, through a training course and became an investigator. Three months later, I started managing accounts, acquiring new customers, and sort of being that salesperson that my dad always thought I could be. He's a sales guy. I'm not. It's okay. Um, but where I went from there was just always consciously assessing the opportunities that I had in front of me. For me, it was never about, oh, this place will pay me a dollar more. It was about what reward am I feeling right now? Where do I want my career to go? So after working as a loss prevention investigator, I ended up working at Target, um, where I had this opportunity to not just lead a team of, of asset protection specialists who are playing clothes and uniform guards in stores, but also to help my peers and implement new procedures as we tried to open Target Canada. Um, then I ended up at G4S uh, working uh, loss prevention as an investigator in plain clothes. And eventually I was able to be a coach and to lead uh, the team for one of our, one of our branches. Um, and here in there, the, the benefit of the guarding industry for me is that um, sometimes I was afforded opportunities to work in case management and project management and I was fortunate enough to keep my relationship with G4S, um, picked up some shifts on the weekend here and there, uh, and I really got to dabble in, um, you know, hard skills that benefit working in security. 
Uh, it's one thing to be a great investigator, but if you're going to be a business leader, you need to understand budgeting and project management. And, um, you know, if you want to implement uh, an incident case management system, well, let me tell you, I can build those um, because I did. Um, and I had that opportunity to step out into a project management and business analysis role that would leverage the experience I had developed as an investigator. Um, and that really pushed me along professionally. At that point, I was no longer talking about burning and, you know, stopping crime. I was talking about the impact to business and measuring those results. But when I looked at what I had time for, where I wanted to invest myself, I chose to look at things that were adjacent to, um, but not directly aligned with security because that would make me more versatile as a player. So a couple more questions do come to mind, though, especially as we look at everything we've talked about and, again, building a GSOC and analyzing threats and the messaging, all that stuff. So at your time at Shopify, what kept you up at night when it came to security concerns? And are those particular security concerns still something that worries you today? So I think, you know, the biggest concern that I would have when looking from a global lens is understanding the the impact that certain things can have on on your employee demographic um you know the russian action in ukraine um the special military operation or whatever they're calling it uh yeah big air quotes on that that's the stuff that keeps me up at night because in certain circumstances you know we don't know what comes next um you know, that's something that even if you don't have employees in Ukraine, uh, you might have people adjacent. You might have people who have relatives. It's the 2020s. Um, being an expat is is a cool thing to do. Um, it's not the same, not even like it was in the 1940s. All of our communities are interconnected. Um, and it's really, it's about supporting employees while making sure that you're not marginalizing others in the process. We don't know, you know, everybody's, you know, nationality of origin, where their parents came from and anything like that. So the stuff that keeps me up at night is, is knowing that, you know, there's people that are worrying and there's information that we might not necessarily know. Um, so to me, I can have a contingency plan for pretty much everything. Something like that isn't something that I planned for. Um, you know, I don't think any business around the world said, well, we need to think about what happens if there's a war. Um, you know, from my perspective, that's a pretty big question. Um, there's a lot of unknowns and coordinating a response like that isn't something that even I could do at my level. That's something that would take the buy-in of, of the C-suite uh, if the need arose. So the thing that keeps me up at night was definitely, uh, I don't want to say scrambling to get a plan, but, you know, trying to find that, that right time to sort of raise the alarm bell on something that's maybe a little bit less traditional of a, of a risk as, as a corporation. So if you're a security professional and, you know, as you're well aware, you're juggling so many things at once. And on top of that, you add 
you know, supply chain issues and turmoil and conflict and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that list is not getting shorter anytime soon, unfortunately. How do you navigate this? What's your advice to folks who are just drowning in crises? Um, so I think I, I mentioned it earlier, it's uh, resiliency. Um, it's hard to demonstrate a return on investment, which is why I was so, we say pedantic about, uh, about measuring the output from our GSOP. And it's because, you know, I knew as my personal opinion that, you know, if we ever hit a hundred percent capacity, we were probably, you know, already 10% over, uh, over exerting the resources that we had available. Um, so it's resiliency or redundancy. When we implemented new positions in the GSOC, we looked at who we could promote. We looked at who had that experience. So if we had a sick call because COVID-19 happened, we could have backfills. Um, more importantly, if we couldn't find someone to sit in that second or third chair, we could find, we had appropriate people trained that, you know, it was going to be a terrible night. Uh, it was going to be a horribly busy night or a horribly busy day, but they still had the capabilities to get the job done. Um, you know, one thing I would look at to take that even further um, is recommending decentralizing your GSOC where possible, whether that's enabling work from home uh, or looking at a regional operations center model is having that redundancy, not just in your people, but in your your infrastructure. Uh, we looked at plans that, you know, what would we do if our, you know, if our whole team got set? What would we do if the office had to be closed down and sanitized? And the reality was, is that we decided that we had to spend more money up front to ensure that our hardware was, was up to standard and that it could have the ability to work from home if needed, that we had the ability to move off site quickly and effectively using VPNs if needed. Um, and in doing so, while we still enjoy the, the in, in GSOP working environment, um, and we're able to build some really great team morale, it was never something that would cripple us. Um, because, you know, let's say, you know, the building where our GSOP's located caught fire. Um, for whatever reason, we couldn't have it staffed. To me, once you build that service that people rely on 24-7, the onus is on you to provide that service 24-7. Because if you say this is your emergency line, this is your corporate 911, that phone needs to be answered uh, by the third rate. And it's making sure that you're able to do that, uh, whether it's through, you know, you know, we've dealt with power outages and we've forwarded phone lines um, back to someone who was on call. And, you know, I personally, I sat at my desk in my underpants at three o'clock in the morning because, you know, Murphy's Law says the power's going to go out. Um, and it's about having that resiliency and having people that believe in that mission and are willing to go the extra mile and also recognizing that recognizing your key players, whether they're contractors or internal folks, it's hiring the right people and investing in them so that they feel loyalty. Um, they feel a sense of purpose in the mission they're executing. Kyle, this has been a great conversation. Like I said, really appreciate your thoughts. 
uh, on the security landscape, and I'm sure we'll have more to talk about uh, another time. Um, if people either want to get in touch with you or if there's anywhere they want to read up more, what would be some places where people could uh, potentially connect and, and maybe have a chat with you if you're open to that? I can be connected with. I'm available on LinkedIn, and that's probably the best place uh, best place to find me. Um, I'm the Kyle Burroughs that has a face that looks like this. Um, not sure how many other Kyles are out there, but uh, definitely a good place to find me is LinkedIn. Okay, excellent. Uh, Kyle, thanks again. Uh, fantastic uh, discussion. That's Kyle Burroughs. He's the former manager of Shopify's Global Security Operations Center joining us on SITREP. That's all for this week's edition of SITREP. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email sitrep at samdesk.io or follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Just look up SAMDesk, all one word. If you're enjoying SITREP, please make sure you subscribe and give us a rating. Until next time, stay safe out there.